This is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM, and my guest today is Andre Molitu, and his book is Abstract Comics, a uh, collection, an anthology, it calls itself, from Fanographics. Mm-hmm. Um, feels more like a concept than an anthology, almost. Uh, what do you mean by that? Um, when I think of comic anthologies, I think of uh, kind of, uh, excuse the the French, but it, like a, a shit mix of nothing really matters, but this is kind of, not matters, but doesn't connect, and this has a kind of a unidentif- or a unidentifiable theme or narrative going through it mm-hmm. of the visual aesthetic. I mean, presumably you could have anthologies that are more unified and anthologies that are less unified, and clearly this is you know, unified. Uh, yeah. And in many ways, uh, I guess it's all conceptual in as much as it really kind of attempts to pursue a single theme and to identify um, the, 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 the creation of abstract comics, not only the present, so it's not only basically people who either have uh, been making abstract comics or whom I asked to try the hand at abstract comics for purposes of this book, but also go to kind of try to identify them in the past. And to uh, one thing I say in the um, preface of the anthology, uh, is basically that um, <coughs> over the years, you know, beginning with Saul Steinberg and depending on how you define comics even earlier than that, uh, people have, uh, you know, come up almost independently with, with independently with the notion of, uh, on one hand, heavy comics, then you have abstraction, and why don't we put it together? And what's interesting to me is that a lot of people, as I said, came up with this idea completely independently, not knowing of each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far as I could tell, uh, you know, when, um, you know, in 2000, Gary Panther does a page like this, uh, he's not rethinking really of Saul Steinberg. Yeah. Uh, when um, uh, Art Crumb uh, does something that goes in the direction of abstract comics, which is actually the first piece. Uh, in the book in 1957, published in 1968, is that number one. Again, he is most likely not considering uh, any earlier manifestations of the same thing, and even much more, much more so in recent years. I have found a number of artists uh, independently of each other um, creating abstract comics without knowing there had been almost any other similar thing being produced. It's almost like, uh, as they call it, a genre without a tradition. <laughs> it's basically people, you know, I think, you know, because we are comic artists, uh, we go to art school, we learn, learn about abstraction, we think it would be cool to put abstraction and basically, you know, panel after panel and see how it goes, um, are almost uh, c- coming to this independently. And then I'm realizing that, uh, you know, when people do this independently, they almost have do not have an ability to kind of uh, build upon what others before them had done. So why don't we bring this all together in one book to kind of begin establishing this tradition? And I think that a number of people actually, since the book came out, even more since the blog came out, we started a blog on this in April, have been um, inspired by this to create it. And I think that now it's become a bit more of a uh, traditional genre, <laughs> so to speak. Well, that's... I mean, when you started talking, I wrote down my little note was like uh, tr- to myself, just narrative slash tradition, mm-hmm. and that was the thing that kind of struck me. Uh, I mean, there are, <coughs> I'm definitely Gary Patrick did read Zap Number One. I mean, we can't 
Mm-hmm. No, I'm sure, I'm sure about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, referred, I referred to Gary Panther and Saul Steinberg. And he <laughs> yeah. most likely uh, you know, did know the Saul Steinberg. I mean, I didn't ask him, but I'm sure he must have seen the labyrinth. Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't know how to speak. Oh, they almost sort of seem to be in different universes. Yeah. So uh, I think that oftentimes you have to talk to people that just sort of seem to have come up with the idea out of nowhere. And what you're seeing now with newer work as being kind of following certain other people's traditions within comics, do you find that, like, pieces together of familiar concepts? Um, well, I mean, not so much. Uh, I, I think that certainly it still has remained and, uh, you know, a very kind of identifiable strand, and it's much more like it's actually establishing its own tradition, uh, and even now, I'm not even so interested in, in as much, or not as so much, in uh, people, you know, feeling that they have to know the Gary Patrick that had come before, feeling that they had to know what Patrick McDonald had done, et cetera, et cetera. But simply knowing that they're creating within a um, formal uh, trend, a formal movement, a um, genre, if you want, that uh, is not, in which they're not alone, in which... Um, they are not simply, you know, perhaps the first to invent this notion, and I think that actually can help push forward innovation and really kind of simply come up with more and more interesting stuff. One thing that I've noticed is um, a lot of people oftentimes come up with a notion and create just a strip or a single page, and I think one thing that's interesting. Uh, and one thing I pushed for in the book is the creation of longer, you know, three, four, six, eight-page uh, narratives, so to speak, you know, formal narratives in abstract comics. Uh, and I think that once you begin wondering not only how abstraction will work in a strip on a single page that you see at once, but how will it work from page to page to page, uh, it becomes a much more complex question. And I think that once people notice that these questions have been asked, have been provided answers that probably are not the answers that they will provide. But then, you know, I guess like any other genre, that they begin creating more and more complex artwork. And that's what I'm excited about, simply to mm-hmm. sort of see the, the uh, artwork that can result out of this. Do you see this as a logical movement within comics to kind of move beyond, um, I guess, narrative trappings? Well, you know, I mean, logical, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, I mean, or uh, how should I put it? A progressive movement? Well, if you think of, say, painting in the 1950s, obviously everybody was going toward abstraction, and, you know, every uh, art school sort of said abstraction is the movement of the future, and Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, nobody taught anything but abstraction. Uh, I certainly make no claim for that. Uh, I don't think that anybody at this point in um, our post-postmodern era, so to speak, can make a claim that there is uh, a single direction within which, so in which any uh, art form, in which any medium has to go kind of uh, religiously, logically, naturally, that there is a single progression imposed upon it. Um, well, and that's, that, uh, I should clarify, that's not what yeah. I'm necessarily stating, that, that, I mean, this is the next step that yeah. comics have to go. I mean, you know, Chris Wersink's comic is going to be asked. That's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying just that the, um, I guess as 
the field, the, the comics field expands. Maybe mm-hmm. this is well. I think it's as, the, as the comics field expands, and one thing that's happening is, um, I think you know whether we intended to or not, uh, we're kind of at the edge between um, the comics field and the kind of you know fine art, so to speak, field. You know, the the, the, the wall art, the gallery <laughs> art field, uh, and I think certainly there has been uh, much more freedom to experiment within the gallery art field in general, kind of historically, than in the comics field, uh, simply having to do with the um, demands put upon um, the comics field as resulting from popular culture, and therefore being required generally to tell a narrative, to tell a story, even in the beginning, you know, to tell jokes, etc., etc., to tell adventure stories. And as such, uh, there has been, you know, obviously, slowly an emancipation from that, uh, emancipation that, you know, obviously resulted in the work of Chris Ware, uh, resulted in the work of, um, you know, Stephen Kramer, Sergat, et cetera, et cetera. And from that point of view, uh, I think, yeah, um, in as much as comics have moved away from being limited uh, by a certain set of commercial trappings, it allows itself a kind of freedom to explore things that are obviously not simply commercial. And I'm kind of, you know, almost kind of feel like that sounds very cliche, what I'm saying. Uh, but uh, I think one, one field that we're exploring, or, or one um, perspective, is uh, not simply the perspective of joining uh, commercial art, comics art, on one hand, and um, you know, gallery art, so to speak, in the kind of traditional pop art, Lichtenstein uh, art, you know, right Lichtenstein way, yeah. uh, but simply almost, you know, completely ignoring uh, the valuations of high and low, and simply, you know, sort of having discovered that point of freedom, uh, asking ourselves, what can we do with this uh, structure, this toy, this uh, amazing means of uh, arranging images, which is comics. Uh, and what can we do with that once we are not obliged uh, to tell, you know, plot-based stories, to tell jokes, or even to to use uh, representation in the panels anymore? And it kind of, you know, does give you a lot of freedom, I think. Oh, <laughs> 
interesting things just kind of jutted out to me from what you're just saying. One was um, the commercial aspect or the not commercial aspect, where it seems to me when you have that more fluid hybrid between and I, and I make clear, I do not use the high-low distinctions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not part of my uh, vernacular. But through say, gallery presentation and um comic aesthetic like that hybrid seems like more chance of say a book like this like the abstract comic book being put beside you know an art book mm-hmm. like where you know a book like this is what 40 bucks yeah 40 bucks 40 bucks yeah where um say an art book of the same quality would probably be a lot higher that's probably true <laughs> uh, and and and, and uh, that's a very good point because an art book of the kind could be, you know, 60 or even more than that. And um, nevertheless, for the um, kind of comic book world, it's a pretty expensive mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen it, actually, in museum bookstores. And actually, I think it's, I, I, whenever I talk about it, I haven't talked about Jacob Covey's, uh, Jacob Covey, uh, Jacob Covey's work as a designer because he's done an amazing job. Yeah. And I think it looks so perfect uh, <laughs> in, in a museum bookstore. Uh, while it lo- looks really kind of intriguing on the uh, you know comic book store shelf too, um, but um, you're right. <laughs> I guess even from the point of view of kind of economics, it's kind of somewhere in between the two, uh, because we actually you know, if I can say so, uh, uh, try to you know, cram as much into the book as possible uh, while keeping it to really the price point of thirty nine ninety five because. Yeah. 
uh, having moved be- beyond that, if you move beyond that, it really kind of ends up going beyond the realm, I think, of um, almost acceptable comic price. <laughs> but it is, you know, a full-color book, and hardcover, I think it's gorgeous from, I'm not even talking about what I did with it, the selection, <laughs> but gorgeous from the point of view of design, the production, it's just such a perfect book. I, I will definitely uh, echo that. Um Jacob uh, Covey is one of the the sharpest designers in comics, and he uh, we're looking to have a talk specifically about design, me and him. Mm-hmm. So that should be interesting. A little panel discussion with some other comic designers. Um, now, there, I guess for me, what makes the difference between what makes it abstract comics? What changes this from being? abstract work within itself, why the comics aesthetic? Um, well, I think, um, obviously, comics and simply, you know, painting or drawing uh, is, um, but are different media. Uh, I mean, based on the very simple facts, and comics you have more than one image, and uh, even if you sort of say going by the most basic, most cliche notion of what makes uh, abstraction work within traditional uh, painting uh, or drawing, especially painting, uh, you know, co- going back to Clement Greenberg, you have a focus on the image as a single unit, uh, focus uh, on its center, uh, focus on the composition as relating to the overall shape of the canvas, um, basically uh, the painting kind of relating to the, kind of the, the material um, condition of its flatness, its recta- rectangularity, etc., etc., uh, and therefore, also for Clement Greenberg, it was a matter of kind of being able to perceive the painting in a kind of single flash, an instantaneous uh, visual understanding of the logic of the composition. Uh, once you make comics and you have more than one rectangle next to each other, uh, you begin getting, obviously you cannot have the single instantaneous composition. Actually, you know, uh, Comics is about time, uh, either kind of represented time where you know, events you know go from one path to the next, or simply about the time off the viewing and the fact that the eye goes from panel A to panel B to panel C, and therefore a page, let's say uh, a unit, a page of a um, abstract comic or any comic, cannot be taken in uh, instantaneously because you have, at the very least, two things. One is simply the need to go from one path to the next. You have uh, built-in time uh, component to the experience of the image, and uh, secondly, you have um, similarly a built-in, uh, similarly uh, a built-in uh, time component to the fact that you see the page as a whole. Then you focus on individual panels. Uh, then, if you want to you know, look back at the layout as a whole, so you don't have that perfect unity that you know Clement Greenberg would have wanted. But in many ways, abstract comics, I think, are themselves relating to the kind of um, basic structure of what makes a comic. In a way, we are largely relying upon the fact that comics, uh, you know, as a Western reader, to read them from top left to bottom right. And therefore, a a reader would begin perceiving the transformations of, uh, you know, abstract forms from panel to panel, from top left to bottom right, etc., etc., but I think in the introduction of a, a time component and then kind of um, formal um, 
you know, simply vectors of force, you know, uh, compositions within each panel that don't, uh, are not intended to simply, you know, show you a single composition, but basically lead you from one panel to the next. Uh, you begin getting a very d- different treatment of what abstraction means in comics than in a self-standing painting. Do you think part of that is, uh, this is a really interesting point, you're talking about the, the movement of the eye of, of the reading. Mm-hmm. Do you think an interesting aspect is that the creators within this book have a recognition of that, where with an abstract painter, they may not have that direct recognition of the reading format? And well, I mean, does I think that, that change that how you create your work? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, an abstract painter knows he's working on a painting, uh, knows he or she, I should say, knows <laughs> that he or she is working on um, a painting placed on a wall. And the main interaction, the main axis, is simply the kind of, um, you know, axis along which the painting confronts the viewer. And therefore, the viewer looks at the painting as, as, the, as the painting is, you know, centered, uh, as is a composition, at a glance. When looking at a page on a, in a book, uh, you're much more likely to kind of scan it as um, reading, and especially if it's structured in panels. Uh, if it's in a book, I think a lot of it also is contextual. And if it's in a book called comics, <laughs> uh, you really begin almost subconsciously knowing that your you, that that scanning process has to come into play. And interestingly enough, uh, I think that what one thing I did in the book was juxtapose um, abstract comics, which nevertheless have a very clear formal narrative. So, for example, you see a form gradually shift. Uh, yeah. For example, in the work of Louis Trondheim. Yeah. Uh, from top left to bottom right. So because of this gradual transformation, uh, it does more than uh, simply rely upon the innate uh, the innate response of you are to read from top left to bottom right, but your eye is clearly guided by the gradual metamorphosis of these shapes. Uh, however, there are other pieces, uh, for example, the pieces of Troy Lloyd or the pieces of uh, Billy Mavrius in the book, that I think um, might be in a different context. Uh, for example, one plays simply on a wall with other abstract drawings, not so automatically be read as abstract comics. Uh, but I think in this context, which largely establishes that direction of reading and the requirement for scanning for the viewer, uh, then uh, you begin saying, well, what if I interpreted these images uh, or, you know, I probably should interpret these images as abstract comics. And then you get a very different reading of them than if you confronted them as simply abstract. Uh, sorry, as abstract comics, mm-hmm. yes, than if you interpreted them simply as abstract drawings, so I, to speak. I really appreciate seeing something by people like Trondheim and uh, Billy Mavrius, uh, mm-hmm. especially because their work is so lush in a way. They're mm-hmm. non like their other type of work, and then you come in this, and it's definitely them trying something different with their within their comics work. Mm-hmm. I guess like well, I mean, uh, actually, the, the the work by Louis Trondheim is was not made for this anthology. He had done he done it previously. Mm-hmm. He did um, two pages in it are from a Bleu, it's a thirty two, if I'm correct, a small abstract comic book that he had done in two thousand three. And uh, another page uh, had previously been published in Bill Noir, 
la ville noire, euh, you know, black bile, is actually a um, Swiss, uh, French language, Swiss, Swiss comics mythology, um, that was the only publication before this book that had featured, uh, not, in that case it was not a full publication, but had featured yeah. a section for four of its issues, sections dedicated to abstract comics. Uh, edited by Ibn al-Rabin, uh, who's actually one of the um, in this contributors to our anthology, too. And so the Louis Trondheim black and white piece had originally been done for that. Um, <coughs> so he has tried his hand, and I think even a variety of his other work, for example, Trondheim's you know, Mr. O and Mr. I, are so... Um, Simplify the drawing that they begin in w- in a way going toward abstraction. And Aileen as well has an odd, I- w- even within its narrative. The oh, oh you're right, uh, Aileen a- 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 or Alien or whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think, <laughs> interestingly enough, um, if I remember correctly, uh, they speak in kind of uh, in, in Alien or what you might call it. Uh, they speak in kind of uh, incomprehensible little glyphs that appear in their word balloons. Is that correct? It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while, too. Uh, but my point was that, um, if that is correct, and I think it is, um, that relates to a kind of trend in, I guess, visual poetry, you could call it, that is, has been connected to abstract comics, the so-called asemic, you know, A-S-E-M-I-C, asemic, meaningless writing, uh, where people kind of create calligraphies of essentially uh, imaginary alphabets or unreadable alphabets. I think Dave Cooper did something like that in one of the weasels. I think he did. And actually, one of our contributors, uh, Tim Gaze, to the anthology is the editor of uh, a semic uh, journal, or a semic magazine, kind of <laughs> the, the, the main magazine that uh, gathers this kind of writing. I'm curious, does the work of Mark Bell or Jason McLean work anywhere into this realm? Uh, actually, it's funny. I don't know the work of Jason McLean. Who's, uh, who's he? He's uh, another, like, you know the Nagadod book? Are you familiar with that? Yes, I, I know the Nagadod book, but I don't remember specifically his work. Um, but I could talk about Mark Bell. <laughs> sure. It, it's it's similar. I'll I'll send you an, an email later with Jason McLean's work. No, I mean, I it's have fantastic. the book, so I could just look it up. Uh, but I didn't remember his work specifically. Uh, well, uh, I think it certainly shares a certain amount of um, characteristics. Um, and if I remember correctly, when Nagadot uh, came uh, came out, it was um, advertised or blurb that actually mentioned abstract comics in it. I'm not sure there were real kind of you know actual abstract comics. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing uh, air quotes <laughs> uh, that would have kind of fit within the anthology I'm working in, uh, with the anthology I edited, but um, partially within the definition that I used uh, for the anthology. Um, but I well, I think the difference there, to some extent, is that Mark Bell, what he does clearly sequential comics that tend to be mainly narrative. Uh, And then he does uh, drawings that tend toward abstraction, but I don't tend to see uh, sequentiality and and narrative in those comics. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, I really loved um, Shrimpy and Paul, I think that's what it's called. Uh, One of his um, his first graphic novels, I thought it was brilliant. It was very kind of narrative-based. Or... um, Rough torn elbow. 
I'll just try to remember all these <laughs> things. Uh, and, and I think that the, the narrative was quite fascinating, and the stories were quite fascinating. Um, but obviously, those were not abstract. No. And, and I'm thinking more of his more recent work. Maybe I don't. I haven't seen that much of his okay. stuff recently. <laughs> but as I said, uh, the stuff that I think of that tends toward abstraction tends not to be sequential. Yeah. So, uh, am I correct? I guess. Uh, well, you'll have to see. We'll have to. Yeah. Also, need some emails, and you can let me know what you think. Um, tell me about the some of the folks we have about ten minutes left. So maybe okay. let's look at some of the people that you have within the book. You mentioned a couple, and there's also seems to be a concerted effort to make sure to really include new people. Mm-hmm. Um, one you have in here, uh, Jason Overby, who sent me some of his mini comics, which are great, weird-looking things. Um, and actually, the work in here is completely different from the stuff that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I'm trying to remember um, exactly how I came in touch with Jason. I think that somebody um, mentioned to Jason that he should contact me about this, and I got an email from him. And I had seen his work on the web occasionally, and he sent me a link to a page he had done off um, essentially only textures and panels, which and he ended up reusing uh, as a background for some uh, for one of his comics. I think he basically drew over those textures. But I thought that that page um, with just textures on, the, on, on in each panel was very promising. And for a variety of artists that are in the anthology, um, as with Jason, I kind of noticed that they were tending toward abstraction, but they had not done a fully abstract comic yet. In that case, I suggested to them, would you like to try your hand at a fully abstract comic? And I think essentially that's what happened with uh, Jason. He said he was interested. He had he sent me this page, um, and essentially said, um, "Well, would you like to try it?" And then fully abstract comic. Um, I think um, a month or a few weeks later, he sent me a three-page abstract comic, and I thought it was actually quite gorgeous. Uh, and and as it turned out, I, I basically sort of said, "It's really good, but it almost moves too quickly. It's almost uh, too fast." and too short, uh, could you expand it? And he went from that three-page uh, abstract comic to the seven pages that, that, that are in the anthology. And I think that when he moved from the three pages to the seven pages, basically the original three pages becoming pages in this uh, seven-page strip, uh, I, when I saw the final product, I thought it was fantastic. So uh, I was very happy with it. It's, it's a pretty nice-looking piece. It, it's interesting to see... Um Looking at something like that, were the directions of uh, because I am seeing the the traditions kind of in there of someone mm-hmm. like like CF um, where that's in there, but it's kind of moved into a different. Very like you know, CF pencil handling, and then there is very much always kind of uh, beautiful pencil handling and and the work of um, Overby and, all, and almost kind of <coughs> obsessive um, attention to texture and detail. Uh, that I think plays very much a part in um, the appreciation of his work. It's not as if he's simply doing something. You kind of even you know even when you're doing abstraction, you can be cartoony and yep. therefore to you know, really simplify your forms. But there is this um, r- incredible richness of texture in panel after panel after panel of uh, Jason's work, and I think that's how it works. And I actually think that um, it's actually pretty closely related to his more traditional narrative comics, uh, you will oftentimes find this kind of texturing in the background of his uh, narrative comics. But in this case, 
not having a, a plot to arrange, discuss, structure the um, movement off the strip, uh, in a way he ends up creating a formal movement. Most obviously, as you can see, is on the very first page. Uh, all the uh, panels are blank. On the second page, uh, only one panel is filled in. On the third page, two panels are filled in, etc., etc., up to the last page where all the panels are filled in. And there's also a strange logic as to, um, you know, how he chooses which panels to be mm -hmm. filled in from page to page. So that also becomes part of the the kind of formal um, dynamism of the book, of, of the strip.
another person, uh, younger, younger sort, uh, Jason T. Miles, mm-hmm. uh, the Fanographic staffer, and that's another person who I see who who's kind of taken a, a step away from his own influences in kind of breaking it down and creating something a little different. Mm-hmm. Sort of like well, like actually, what's interesting is that that specific piece had been originally published as a, a self-standing um, mini-comic. Mm-hmm. I think I actually uh, have the so mini-comic. So it, it was not made specifically <laughs> for the anthology. The only difference was basically it is 26, what he calls them, glyphs. Um, and 26 glyphs that actually stood for kind of the 26 letters of the alphabet. Uh, and okay. they had been published as uh, glyphs on 26 different pages. And um, I suggested to him that he um, essentially relate out again uh, for purposes of uh, turning it into a um, you know shorter piece, you know, in this case, seven-page piece for the anthology. Uh, and then we talked a lot about how it could be laid out, so you don't have simply the rhythm of going from glyph to glyph. Actually, what's really interesting uh, to me also is the formal transformation of those glyphs in a way um, they begin kind of acquiring more, um, you know, filling in of the blacks, so yeah. to speak. Uh, and uh, they go from, actually, it's kind of funny, I don't have this book in front of me, uh, so I'm speaking from memory, but they go <laughs> from primarily uh, line drawings uh, all the way to something that's actually re- it's very reminiscent to me of um, late Kirby, you know, Kirby of the late 60s, yep. early 70s, in the, uh, the the spotting of the blacks, or even more specifically, it's very reminiscent of uh, Gary Panter attempting yeah. to, to draw uh, late <laughs> Kirby. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking of uh, the one that stuck out for me was Matt Brinkman, who would have been probably trying to draw like Panther is trying to draw like Kirby. <laughs> oh, you, you, you're, you're probably right. I think, I think, I think, I think there is that connection too. That I, was, I think I would say that probably Miles uh, sort of Jason doesn't have to have um, to kind of go through Matt Brinkman to kind of connect to Gary Panther. <laughs> it's it's it's, a, it's just something I feel in there, and, and I know he he is most likely familiar with Brinkman, but not to say that he is, you know, in that tradition narrative of mm-hmm. being an exiled set. But it is, I, th- I think, a piece in there. Yeah, and I should add, by the way, that then we're, we kind of discussed of how we can arrange these uh, 26 individual glyphs uh, abstractly so as to still kind of create some kind of uh, narrative arc. And one thing you'll notice is that they're arranged in such a way that they kind of you know go from, if I remember correctly, two or three on the first page to about five. And mm-hmm. then, uh, so there becomes kind of the density rises. Yep. that falls again to begin getting a um, narrative arc even from that point of view. No, it, there's definitely like a flow of of movement and transition mm-hmm. throughout all of them. So. How do you uh, do you see or how is this continuing with the blog? You mentioned the blog earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, how well, has this expanded? Well, what's interesting is actually uh, as I said, the blog uh, went on um, Early, early April, and very soon afterwards, it got uh, spread out. Uh, news of it seems to actually have spread it to the uh, poetry world, uh, the visual poetry world especially. Um, and I began getting um, emails, uh, both from people who are trying their hand at it for the first time, and honestly, like four or five days <laughs> after the blog went live. <laughs> I got emails from people who said, look, look, I've made an abstract comic. 
and <laughs> fascinating work. Uh, and uh, some of it I posted on the blog, and then I began getting um, so I began getting uh, emails from people that you know I've been working in something like this for a while. Uh, and honestly, I had done—I mean, I literally, like for five years uh, <laughs> or four years by the time the book had to go into production, I really researched and tried to find everybody who was working on abstract comics yeah. uh, to make sure I was aware of everybody. Uh, but you know, I guess a couple of them uh, slipped um, under my attention. Um, for example, a fellow named Aaron Felder, uh who uh, had been working on abstract comics for close to five years. Uh, I think that essentially his blog uh, did not actually mention the word abstract comics. So I <laughs> never was able to find it by googling it, <laughs> so it's never linked. Um, but uh, you know, and, and they send me um, this kind of information, and um, I really kind of have begun building up uh, almost of a new set of um, of a new archive of abstract <laughs> comics that certainly could be used if there's a second volume. And I think it's now going in really fascinating directions. I mentioned um, visual poets, especially um, a um, Finnish visual poet, Satu Kaikonen, um, got so excited about uh, the notion of abstract comics that since April she has made over 200, I think close to 300 uh, <laughs> uh, abstract comics. Uh, and I should add one thing that happened in the... Um, my search for abstract comics, I really was not able to um, find any um, woman working in this field or close to this field. Yeah. So the anthology does not have um, any women artists, but we have found uh, a number of them since, and this is Satu especially, uh, as well as Nina Rose. Uh, Nina Rose, who is Dutch. And interestingly enough, uh, she mentioned to me that she had come up with the notion of how could one do a um, comic abstractly a couple of years ago, at least, uh, but had not yet been able to figure out how one could do that. Uh, she had made a few attempts. Uh, I think she was not 100% happy with those attempts. And then she discovered our blog. And as soon as she discovered our blog, I think something clicked. And since April, she has made some absolutely gorgeous, stunning drawings. And um, fortunately, I learned of her in time to be able to incorporate her into the uh, related um, exhibition that we have currently at the Graduate Center at CUNY, at the James Gallery, uh, that relates to the book. Uh, you know, you saw the, the exhibition is called Silent Pictures, and it is about roughly half divided between the work in abstract, uh, in abstract comics and um, Art Spiegelman's collection of wordless, uh, wordless oh, okay. graphic novels mm -hmm. from the 30s to the present. Sounds fascinating. All these wonderful things to look at. Mm-hmm. How about Richard McGuire? Does he fit in anywhere? <coughs> um, well, it's kind of interesting, because one thing that I mentioned uh, in the beginning of the anthology and the introduction was that in, in my criterion of choosing, one criterion I made was, um, one criterion I used uh, was that works can get if work gets so simplified, but in a way, it still remains either purely narrative, uh, or I should add, which is not introduction, it still how it somehow has recognizable characters. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't quite consider it to be abstract comics, so I think that he does some amazing stuff. Uh, I mean, I love Richard McGuire. Yeah. Uh, uh, and for example, the strip he had in Kramer's Ergot. 
uh, I don't know, five or six was it? Uh, the one Four. with uh, the one where basically it's uh, an incident with I think if I remember correctly somebody driving up and they being in a car crash or something. But I know the from one. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I think it's from the fourth. Maybe it's from the fourth one, but they're seen from above, and everything, every panel looks very, very schematic. And to some extent, if you were noticing all the panels, you might think it goes toward abstraction. But actually, what it is, it's just a very kind of simplified rendering of uh, a realistic incident. So I wouldn't re- wouldn't reconsider that to be uh, abstract comics. And then he has uh, probably uh, more going the direction, you know, P and O. Uh, Popeye and Olive, yeah. this piece of basically Popeye and Olive, <laughs> uh, essentially turned into this kind of, um, again, almost kind of calligraphic glyphs and contorted uh, in such ways that they're having this kind of strange calligraphic sex <laughs> <laughs> from panel to panel to panel, uh, where they still, however, remain identifiable. Um, Popeye by his hat and his uh, pipe in his mouth, it's then Olive by you know, her profile. Um, and I think, again, I think that, that's a brilliant book. And I should say there is, uh, overall, a kind of connection between um, abstraction, a kind of simplification in, in comics and uh, representing sex, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a Louis Trondheim book. Uh, I forget the title of it, which uh, seems abstract at first, then you realize it's um, basically... Um, to not sound too crass, but basically holes being filled in <laughs> and then take out the end kind of a rhythm to this, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which very clearly uh, you realize it's a very uh, schematic representation of sex. And uh, Greg Shaw, another one of the contributors, did something very similar in a, um, another book of his, um, the title of which, as, again, escapes me at this moment, uh, where which becomes much more of a, as he calls it, a conceptual comic rather than an abstract comic. So I think that uh, Richard McGuire's too kind of goes in that direction, but uh, it's not something that would have fit in with uh, the abstract comics in this anthology. Though I would have loved to see an mm-hmm. abstract comic from him. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> if you're listening to this, it's about time for a massive McGuire collection. I think. Yeah, I have to cut us off. I okay, to, I'm sorry to hear that. My uh, time is uh, is coming to an end. I've enjoyed this conversation, and I think we could well, probably... have I a lot. Thank you. We could probably go for another hour, no problem, I feel like. I'm uh, sure we could. Thank you so much for joining me today, Andre. Oh, thank you very much for having me.